Good morning. Our first scripture passage comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The second passage comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 10a. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And our final passage from today is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you this morning for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that we need it. Help us, Lord, to feel our need of it, our need of you. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would help us to find you in your word. I pray that your gospel would be clear to your people, despite my own inadequacies, and that they might be built up in every way into, into Christ, their Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just a logistical note before we begin um, our reflection on these passages today. Uh, on the back of your bulletin, it has an overview of this series on being what it is to be made in God's image, uh, where we've gone and where we've come, or where, where we've gone and where we're going. Yeah, there we go. Um, next week, uh, we'll be looking at the subject of what it means to be made um, in God's image, male and female. Um, and the title of that sermon will be Whole and Gendered. Um, so we'll be discussing the subject of gender, and I just wanted you to be aware of that as we approach that, because I know in our society today, that can be a delicate subject, and perhaps even in your own lives and experiences, it can be a difficult one. And so I simply want you to be prepared. But today, we're looking at rest. Uh, last week, we looked at work, um, how we were made to work, and today, we're looking at how we were made for rest. I want to ask you, how much rest do you need? I hazard a guess that the answer is a little bit more than I get. Always, right? It's never quite enough. It's never quite enough satisfying. And, and sometimes you'll have so much that it's not actually restful. Another question is, how much work is too much work? You know, in our modern age in America, we've standardized the 40-hour work week. It's like sacrosanct. It, it is one of those things that is unchanging about our society. Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. And you know, there's all sorts of variations on this in the government. You can pull four tens, or you can do, um, I don't know, five nines, and then four nines, and every other Friday you have a day off, something like that. There, there are all these weird schedules, but they're all built around the 40-hour work week. But... If you know your history, the 40-hour work week didn't actually come about until the 1940s. Uh, people love to cite this when others complain about having to work too much. Well, at least you didn't live prior to 1940, they'll say. Uh, back in the late 1700s and 1800s, early 1800s, at the advent of industrialization, 
a normal person would work between 70 and 80 hours per week. 12 hours a day, six days a week. That's a lot of work. But because of organized labor and unions, this began to come down over time. Um, in the early 1900s, it kind of, with Henry Ford and, and the advent of, um, of uh, kind of the assembly line, he switched us to an eight-hour day, um, but it was still six days. And then in the 40s, it finally um, was ensconced in law, um, the 40-hour work week. What might surprise you, though, one last tidbit in this history lesson, is that prior to the 1700s and industrialization, the standard work week was likely less than 40 hours. Yeah, it was less. In many situations, work outside of the home, work for a profit, occupied less than 40 hours of the week. That's just interesting as we think about what the appropriate balance is between work and rest. That our modern addiction to work and work and work is relatively new. Um, that we haven't always been people who worked as much as we do. All this is to say that the balance of work and rest is highly variable. And depending on your situation, rest might seem abundantly available or in short supply. I think a better question to ask than how much rest do you need is why do you need rest and what is rest? What is rest for and why do we need it? As we look at these three scripture passages, I think some of the answers to these questions might surprise you from scripture. And I hope what they'll do is that they'll inspire you to take your rest a little bit more seriously and intentionally. What I hope you'll see today is that Jesus came to restore our rest in God's presence. To restore our rest in God's presence. And because of that, whether you work a lot or very little, whether you're in your peak earning years or you're retired, we are all invited to equally embrace the gift of rest that we have in him. So we're going to cover the subject of rest the same way we have the other subjects in this series on what it means to be made, talking about how rest is a part of our created design, but then how sin makes rest dissatisfying and difficult in our fallen experience, and finally, how Jesus redeems and restores the goodness of rest. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. The rhythm of scripture. So creation. You know, the seventh day of the creation week recorded in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. It's the first scripture passage that was read. It's, it's always intrigued me. I don't know if it has for you. I tend to think about abstract questions um, quite often in my contemplations. But God completes his work of making everything uh, throughout these first six days of the creation week. Um, it's the work recorded in Genesis 1. We've reflected on some of that in this series. But on the last day, the seventh day, he rests from his labor. And his rest, it sets the pattern for human work and rest, which we'll see in our Exodus passage. But as a kid, I used to think, you know, well, I, I know God doesn't normally get tired. So I guess he must have rested because creation was just so big, it was enough to make even God tired. That's a how a child's mind works. But then again, maybe you're an adult sitting here thinking, well, I, that's what I assume too. I don't know. That's okay. You know, creation was so amazing that even God got tired making it. When you go out to like Yosemite out west and you see those mountains, 
Yes, you can, it's reasonable to believe that. But you know, God doesn't hit his limits with creation. I want to challenge that thought a little bit. Because I think that thought about, about God and needing to take a break, I think it betrays an assumption about the purpose of rest that's not actually biblical at all. It assumes that we only rest because we're tired and we and have the need to stop and recuperate before working again. In other words, rest is to recover from work so that we can go back to work again. But that can't be why God rested. It can't be why God rested. God has no body. The psalmist in Psalm 121 says he neither slumbers nor sleeps. And we take great comfort in that because he's constantly aware of us, his people. God did not rest because he needed to. He rested because rest, like work, is inherently good. Rest, like work, is inherently good. And if we rest because God rested, because we're made in his image, our rest is in itself is not good only for the energy we gain from it so that we can go back to work, but it's good because by embracing it, we faithfully bear the image of our Heavenly Father who made us. In his book, Work, um, The Work That Makes a Difference, which I recommended to you last week, I think there are a couple copies out in the lobby um, on the bookshelf and, and one in our library. I encourage it to you if, if work and your relationship with work is something you need to work on, But he writes on this false notion of rest beautifully. He says, The Western mind supposes that one works five days to earn a right to rest and play on the weekend. But scripture instructs the the redeemed at least to start the week with rest and then to work. In scripture, rest is a gift, not a reward for hard work. Did you hear that? In scripture, rest is a gift, not a reward for hard work. You know, there's a beautiful line in Psalm 127.2 where it says, He will surely give rest to his beloved. That's just a beautiful way of looking at how God loves us and delights to give his people rest. As a gift that they haven't earned. Rest like work is a good gift and not an earned reprieve. But what is rest? What is rest? You know, if I asked all of you that question, I bet I'd get a whole bunch of different answers. Some of you might talk about football in the afternoon, watching that. Might talk about watching a movie. Might talk about reading a book. Might talk about just sleeping. Um, But then some others might see it as an escape because life is painful. Life is difficult. Some parents of young kids might say, It looks like my husband taking the kids and letting me have like a day in the house by myself. Um, For some husbands or some um, others, it it, it might be the opposite. (laughs) What is rest? Well, the word for rest in Genesis 2, best understood, it simply means to stop, to cease. God ceases his work of creation. So rest is always from something else. Resting from work. But God doesn't only stop. He reflects. And he does this every day of the creation week, but he does it in an especially notable way 
on the last day when he says, and he saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. So rest um, is, it involves stopping what we're doing and it involves reflecting on it. Reflecting on what God has done and what he has enabled us to do. You know, there's a, there's a word in the Psalms, if you read the Psalms, you'll have some that are organized into stanzas, and they're broken apart by this word that's left in there, um, untranslated, and it's selah. And there are a lot of thoughts on what that means. Um, as I've studied over the years, I'm, I'm most compelled to see it as a musical term that involves a rest or a pause, an interlude. And so it's, it's an interlude that reflects on the previous statements that have come. So yes, that word selah as a, as a rhythm in the Psalms is good as a rhythm, rhythm for life for us to pause and reflect, to do an interlude of reflection on what God has done and what he's done in us. But you know, for us, it's also more than simply stopping and reflecting. We don't have any explicit statements in Genesis to tell us what rest looked like in the garden before sin entered the picture, except one, and it's implied. When God goes looking for Adam and Eve after they sinned, uh, it's, it's implied that he would do this regularly, that he goes walking in the cool of the garden and he would join them. God would walk at times in the garden with the people he'd made. Adam and Eve, as we talked about previously, they were called to work and cultivate creation, but they were also called to enjoy it with God. They were called to enjoy their work of cultivating creation with God, enjoying it with them. You know, we often think of rest as leisure, and we use those words interchangeably, rest and leisure. Free time to do as we please. But rest and leisure are different things. And the biblical idea of rest, some leisure might be incorporated into that, but I guarantee you a lot of it is not. Rest and leisure are different things. I'm not saying leisure is worthless. I certainly enjoy it. <laughs> um, but it's not rest. In fact, I think much of what we consider Leisure is activity that just that moves our minds and our bodies at just as frantic a pace as work does. Stuff that does not allow us to pause and reflect. In Scripture, rest is seen as ceasing, reflecting, and enjoying the presence of God. Ceasing, reflecting, and enjoying God's presence. In Psalm 131.2, the psalmist writes, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a child with its mother. What a beautiful picture of what rest is to be for us. Like the calming and quieting of the soul of a child being held by its mother. So we are to be calmed and quieted in the presence of our Heavenly Father. Rest is entering the presence of God. It is a place where we are calmed and quieted by him. You know, we have no greater example of this rest than that of our Savior, Jesus. What would he often do that would sometimes confound the disciples? He'd, he'd go up on a mountain by himself to pray, to rest. And was his rest in isolation? No, it was in the presence of his heavenly Father in prayer and reflection. What a crazy Trinitarian image, by the way, of, of God the Father communing with God the Son um, and, and God the Spirit. 
I would have loved to be on those mountaintops to learn a thing or two from my Savior on how to rest, because frankly, I'm not very good at it. But you know, Jesus was also regularly in the synagogue. That's why we worship on Sundays, the day of rest. For when we gather to sing God's praises and hear from his words, we are together entering into and enjoying his presence and rest. Worship is a part of rest. Brothers and sisters, do you recognize that you are more than your work and you were made for more than work? You were also made to rest in the presence of God. In fact, I would say that there can be no true flourishing in the Christian life without a healthy life pattern that embraces rest in God's presence and not merely out of necessity because if I don't rest, I can't go to work but as a gift from the God who made us in his image. That we don't count all of our time from the standpoint of economic value, but we see that we were made as people in God's image to rest in him. If rest, though, is a gift, why is it so hard to unwrap? (laughs) It's like it's been wrapped in steel, I can't peel it back with my hands. This enters the problem of sin, which undermines our rest. When Adam and Eve sinned, work became toil, and being cast out of God's presence in the garden, they were likewise cast out from the source of true rest. Rest became difficult, and we naturally fight against it, even to our own detriment. If you're anything like me, you find rest frustratingly difficult to obtain, and often dissatisfying. You put your head on the pillow, and your mind goes a hundred miles an hour. You sit down for a moment of quiet, and your phone buzzes, and you start scrolling, 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 never ending, and before you know it, the two hours you had have gone, and you haven't rested a moment. But you know, I think some of us also avoid rest, because we fear the anxious voices the solitude will encourage and give space to. Rest can be terrifying, if you've experienced trauma in your life. At the conference Laura and I attended last week on the subject of trauma, one of the speakers brought up uh, the story of a man he had spoken with who was experiencing conflict in his marriage. And he'd go to sleep every night downstairs on the recliner in front of the TV. But he asked questions instead of assuming it was laziness. And the reason wasn't laziness or avoidance of his wife. The trauma of his experience in wartime made sleep and the moments between lying down and falling asleep terrifying. So he sought distraction and escape because rest was overwhelming. I don't know if any of you experience that kind of difficulty with rest. Our sinful world makes rest so difficult for so many different reasons. Whether you've experienced trauma or you are simply one of those who has the standard distractions of the all-consuming needs of children, the tendency to overwork, the longing to make that extra dollar to, to provide and to care for family. There is so much in this world that drives us and conspires to deny us true rest. That's why rest features prominently in God's law in the Old Testament to Israel. In the Ten Commandments, which Tom talked about and and which um, Bethany read from, we have several commands regarding worshiping God alone and how to love our neighbor. But then we have this one in the middle, near the middle, about keeping the Sabbath, 
which just seems strange and out of place. Why is that so important? Embracing God's creation design for one day of rest in seven. We are called to honor it and to keep it holy or set apart and reserved for God. You know, I'm not going to, in this sermon, get into the particulars of telling you how to observe Sabbath rest or what this command means for us, except to emphasize our need for a day of rest in seven as a creation pattern for human life. We don't need rest because of sin. We need rest because we're humans made in the image of God, and he's given it to us as a gift. And it's commanded because we really don't rest well. This is further established as a pattern when you see that not only were people supposed to honor a day of rest every seven days, but then the people were to let the land rest every seven years. There's rest for the land in the Old Testament, not just rest for the people. Um, on, on that seven-year event, they were also to forgive debts and release slaves. Then every seven times seven years, um, there was the ultimate day of rest that looked forward to the rest God would give his people, the year of Jubilee, when debts were forgiven and everything restored. Land that had been sold was restored to the family that owned it originally. All of these things point toward um, our being designed for rest and hope that one day the rest we enjoyed in the garden would be restored. You know, I find it so interesting that the, uh, that the enjoyment of the gift of rest needs to be commanded in Scripture. How many of you, after you give your kids a gift at Christmas, need to command them to play with it? Has anyone had to do that? Anyone raise your hand? No, of course not. I remember I always, every, it wasn't Christmas if I didn't get a Lego set. I did not need to be commanded to play with that Lego set. I needed to be told to put it down so I could open the other gifts, yes. But I did not need to be told what to do with that Lego set. I opened it and I played with it and I built it and I tore it apart and I built something new. I knew what to do with that great gift and I enjoyed it. But God has to command us to rest when rest is a gift. It's almost like he has to say to us, be human. Remember you're human and I made you in my image for a purpose with limits and for good rest. Stop trying to be something else. This command in Exodus is really a command to honor our creation design as people made to work and made for rest. What's fascinating though is that it's also one of the hardest to keep. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people are called to task time and time again for ignoring the Sabbath and rejecting their need of it. The prophet Amos, um, in a beautiful uh, letter, wrote critically of God's people saying that they longed for the Sabbath to be over so that they may resume selling grain. It's this picture of they're like, I just need to get past rest so I can get back to making a profit. In pursuit of greater profit, resting in God's presence becomes inconvenient and a lower priority. You know, in a discipleship group I'm part of, we looked yesterday at the account of Martha and Mary. How Jesus teaches in their house, and Martha's the hostess, and, and Mary is as well, um, teaching to the disciples. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, but Martha is busy and anxious to be about the work of hospitality. When Martha tries to get Jesus to tell Mary to stop sitting and work, she's like almost accusatory of Jesus. Like, don't you care? Get this, get this girl up 
off, off the floor and have her help me work. Jesus rebukes her gently, emphasizing that Mary has chosen the one needful thing. In other words, there were priorities, and while being the hostess wasn't bad, Mary chose what was best, what was most important, sitting at her Savior's feet, experiencing his wisdom, and enjoying his presence. Is there a time for work? Yes. Yes, six days of it. But it's not when the Savior is in the room. In that moment, Mary chose what was best. Is that the most needful thing for you? As you think about your own lives, what do your lives testify that you believe you need most? Or do you only rest in God's presence at the margins when other things that are more important don't take the time away? It's telling that in the New Testament, God's people began celebrating the Lord's Day as their Sabbath, which is actually the eighth day or the first day of the week, rather than the last day, uh, as it was in the Old Testament. The week was to start with rest and then proceed to work. We rest in worship. We rest in ceasing from work. We um, put our resting and reliance on God first before work. It's not a reward. It's the priority. Thinking about this practically, I think there are so many elements of modern life that make the biblical rhythm of work and rest so difficult. It's my belief that just as our ethics and values need to stand apart from the world, our use of time needs to stand apart from the world as well. We must resist letting the world and social pressure dictate our life rhythms to the extent that it's possible. If we let it, the world will destroy our rest. You know, for an example, and this actually comes from another session we sat in at this conference talking about uh, youth trauma for a new generation. Youth today largely do not experience rest, like at all. Um, Societally, parents are pushed to believe that love for our kids equals the provision of opportunity and experience, and lots of it. In other words, if I love my kids, I will fill their lives with extracurriculars. As a standard, ask a standard kid in most suburban homes what a typical day looks like. School from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Extracurricular number one for two hours afterwards. Extracurricular number two for two hours after that. Dinner often on the move, rarely at the dinner table. And then sometimes in a bedroom while doing homework, often until 12 or 1 a.m. There's no rest there. And because the work is never done, it extends even on to Sundays and Saturdays. There's always more to do, so to avoid thinking about it, teens' margins are then filled with frantic online activity, escapes like gaming or social media, which do not offer rest, but merely escape and distraction. There is zero space for rest in the presence of God for most teens. Brothers and sisters, our children and our families, they need us to teach them the goodness of rest, that they were made for it, for worship to be prioritized, for prayer to be taught, for the need for sleep to be protected, for God gives it to his beloved. They need us to protect their right to be humans who rest in their heavenly father and learn to enjoy his presence. Rest in the presence of God, rest in corporate worship, rest in private reflection, rest in sleep, 
Rest in prayerful meditation on God's word. Rest in enjoying his creation. We were made to need it. We were made to enjoy it as a gift. Are you human? Then you need to rest. It's part of what it means to be made in God's image. You know, although rest in this life will at times be difficult and unfulfilling, the good news is that God gives it to us afresh in Christ. In our last passage, and I want to look at this briefly, Jesus is speaking to people made weary and exhausted by life in this world. And he says these three beautiful words, come to me. Come to me. Come to me, you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. In a very real way, these words testify to Jesus as God, his divinity, because in Scripture it is God who is the great rest giver. It is in the presence of God that we find it. But Jesus says, come to me and I will give it to you. Though in sin, man was cast from the garden and the source of true rest. In Christ, God leaves paradise, leaves the place of rest, and comes to us in human flesh to invite us into his presence. Jesus secures our rest by doing all the work necessary to secure it. Keeping God's law where Adam and Eve failed, moreover, he took on himself the burden of our sin and he bore its price by dying on the cross in our place. But he rises to new life on the first day of the week, establishing forever our access into the rest of God through faith in him. By his resurrection, he welcomes us into God's presence where rest is available in abundance. And we get a foretaste of this now when we set aside time for worship and rest. But one day we will experience it in fullness. In Jesus, our rest looks not merely backward to our creation design, but forward to the rest God promises his people in eternity. We need to rest not merely for physical and mental recuperation, not merely because it is commanded, but because in our rest, we grow in relationship with our Father, in whose presence we sit, covered by the shed blood of Christ, and we grow in hope of the rest he has won for us. This is what it means when Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We do not need to earn God's rest. He's won it for us. You know, I love the words of an old hymn, which I don't know if we've sung it here at Covenant of Grace, but it's, come ye sinners, poor and restless, weak and wounded, sick and sore. It's a song that's calling on us as God's people to come to Christ Jesus and find forgiveness and rest. In the third verse, it reflects on this idea of the passage when it says, and I'm actually going to read two verses here, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness, fitness for Christ, fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. This he gives you, this he gives you, tis the Spirit's rising beam. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous. Sinners, Jesus came to call. All the fitness he requires for you to come to him is to truly feel and admit your need of his grace and his rest. Jesus says that the rest he gives is not payment for services rendered. It is a gift of God's grace. Come and enjoy it.
being reminded that one day when you see him face to face, you will enjoy it to the fullest, unendingly. And this is what we are to do today in our worship and today in our rest, to look forward with hope. This is the hope of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, what is your work and rest rhythm? What keeps you from enjoying it? Have you believed the lie you need to earn it? Have you forgotten that happens in the presence of the God who loves you and gave himself for you? Your heavenly Father longs to welcome you into his presence and to pour out his rest in Christ so that you might live with longing and eager expectation for the day when you experience it in full. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you and praise you that in Christ you have secured our rest. Lord, help us to honor you by recognizing it as a gift and to admit our need of it and to come to you longing to see you and know you and experience your love and grace. Give us rest in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.